Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planning churches. You're about to hear a message that was preached live from one of our recent church services. We hope that you'll open your heart to hear the Holy Spirit speaking directly through this message. Stay tuned after the message for information on how to get connected with us. Thanks again, and enjoy today's message. I want to ask you to open with me to the book of Romans, chapter 3. We are continuing in a series through the book of Romans, a powerful, powerful letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in the city of Rome uh, nearly 2,000 years ago that has impacted the world in incredible ways. And this work, this letter that was written uh, from the Apostle Paul is perhaps his magnum opus, his most uh, potent work of literacy, his most powerful work of religion and theology, and uh, what we're going to study tonight, something called soteriology. That is the study of salvation. And uh, if you want to understand how God saves us, I hope tonight, before the end of this, you're going to understand with, with new and fresh perspective. Romans chapter 3, there's a story from our nation's history, 1794. At that time, uh, President George Washington was, uh, was at, at the head of state, and uh, there was a law that came through the Congress and was passed. It was drafted by a guy that you might know. His name is Alexander Hamilton. He's got big plays that are named after him now. But at that time, uh, he pushed through a federal tax on the states, and it was a tax on whiskey. At the time then, and even now today, uh, they, they call those sin taxes. And, uh, and so when you tax something that people want to consume, uh, you can make a lot of money doing that. The government still does that today, don't they? You can save a lot of money by getting saved. Get off of your alcohol and cigarettes. Uh, Jesus can save you some money in that way. But in 1794, it was no different. They passed a whiskey tax and there arose in the states something of a rebellion. In the state of Pennsylvania, there was a group of farmers who was very unhappy about this because it affected their livelihoods. All of a sudden, they weren't making as much money as they used to because of this heavy tax on whiskey. And so they began to protest. Americans were pretty good at rebelling back then. And uh, the spirit of rebellion rose up in Pennsylvania. They started protesting in the streets and eventually got so bad that they burned down the home of a local tax inspector. Well, this was a big no-no because he was a government employee. And it went out across the land at the time. Remember, the year is 1794. This is very shortly after the Constitution has been ratified in the colonies. And this uh, became known as the Whiskey Rebellion. Anybody ever heard of it before? Whiskey Rebellion. And, uh, and so it was a big question in the news and in the politics of the day. How do we treat this? Because this is not King George. This is not some foreign entity attacking us. This is our guys. This is us. This is our farmers rebelling against our system. How do we handle it? Well, George Washington had to be coaxed and uh, 
uh, he didn't w- really want to do much about it, but he knew that he could not allow rebellion to continue on. And so he sent in a 13,000-member militia into this area of western Pennsylvania in order to bring order back <coughs> to that area. They arrested 20 members of the mob that were guilty for burning down the house, and eventually two of them were convicted of treason. They were tried and convicted under the law, and then they were sentenced to death by hanging. That was the right thing to do, unfortunately. But so Washington had reservations about this uh, this sentence that was carried out, and so before they were to uh, face their penalty. It was one year later, July of 1795, that George Washington issued the very first presidential pardon. This is something that the president is allowed to do in our country. He is able to pardon people, not just the Thanksgiving turkey, but they are able to pardon people who have been convicted of crimes. And it's the very first time this power was used in our country was to pardon these men who had been sentenced uh, to death uh, by the law. And so what's amazing about this story is that it was Washington, it was his job as the president to execute the law, right? It's his job to uphold the laws of Congress. It was his job to send in the militia and to arrest these men and to convict these men and then to sentence these men. It was under his jurisdiction to punish those men by death, and he was right to do it because they were guilty under the law. Is that true? But it was also his prerogative to pardon them. And it was a very wise decision because there was many others who was watching this decision. If he would have executed them, there could have been bad consequences. There could have been more rebellions that sparked up as a result. But uh, because of his pardon, uh, there was peace in the land. Now, that's a wonderful picture tonight of God's mercy. Because according to the law tonight, every single one of us deserves God's judgment. Every single one of us deserves to be sentenced and ultimately executed because we have violated the laws of God. But there is something that God did for us that allows him to pardon us and set us free. And it's not just a wave of a legislative pen like it was with George Washington. It was the blood of his only son. And by faith tonight, we are able to be pardoned. And this is a miracle tonight. Paul, in this letter, has spent nearly three chapters reminding us of all of the reasons why it is right for God to condemn us in our sins. Starting in chapter 1, verse 18, until where we are tonight in Romans 3, verse 20, there are these two full chapters of Paul explaining what is very obvious to everyone, that we're broken. And the The result of our brokenness is that we stand guilty before a holy God. And if you need any convincing of that, all you need to do is look in the mirror and realize how many people you've hurt, how many times you know to do right and then you don't do it, how many times we have cut the corners, we have cheated and done things that are 
outside of the boundaries. We have taken, uh, taken God's name in vain. We have lied. We have stolen. And guess what? None of that needs to be trained. Even children understand how to sin. You have to train them to be good, right? You don't have to train them how to be bad. They already know. That's because that is pre-programmed. The operating system that came on this hardware is broken. And that leads us to sin. And because of our sins, we stand guilty before God. And he is a just and a righteous judge that cannot allow sin to go unpunished. That's bad news for us. Because if we have to pay the price for our own sins, that's why hell exists. But in the scripture we're going to read tonight, Paul is going to take a glorious turn. A turn that will help us that has the ability to change all of humanity. And I want you to read with me tonight, Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 21. We're going to read through verse 26. And I am reading from the New Living Translation tonight for a little bit of clarity. Would you join with me tonight? It says these words, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. Our Bible plan is in the middle of Leviticus right now. There's a whole lot of crazy laws in there. Aren't you glad you don't have to keep all of them? Dietary laws, clothing laws, on and on, 613 of them. But Paul said right there, God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. How crazy is that? As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Verse 22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet, God, with undeserved kindness, that's a word called grace, declares that we are righteous. Y'all, this is mind-blowing tonight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair. Say the word fair. When he held back and he did not punish those who sinned in times past. I'm going to come back to that. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just. And he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. This is incredible tonight. A message I've titled, From Condemnation to Demonstration. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we come by the blood of Jesus. I'm praying, God, your grace and your favor 
Over my words tonight, God, I pray your anointing to do more than I could ever do. God, to explain what I cannot into the hearts of your people. I'm praying, God, that as uh, as we hear your word, that it would ring true, that your spirit would move in our hearts, God, and that we would once again rejoice at the power of your salvation and justification by faith in Jesus Christ. I'm praying tonight, help us to drink deeply, God, of your great salvation, and we give you glory in Jesus' mighty name. God's people said, amen. Now, my first point that I have to visit is very closely related to probably the last five sermons that I have preached in this series, which is that sin has the power to condemn us. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because we've gone over it so clearly, but it is in our scripture that everyone has sinned. No one is above the law. Verse 23, everyone has sinned and all fall short of God's glorious standards. In other words, tonight, there was a pop quiz and you all failed it. What was that pop quiz? It is the righteousness of God. It is the glory of God. It is his righteous standards. In other words, that when God made Adam and Eve in the garden, he made them to be righteous and holy. He made them in a state of of innocence that they didn't even know, good and evil, right? That's why God said, stay away from that tree of the knowledge of good and and evil. All they knew was God's grace and his mercy and his power. And as long as they were obedient, they didn't even need that knowledge because they were living in a state of righteous behavior. But when they took of that tree and they ate of that fruit and they became aware of good and of evil. And ever since then, every human being who has ever lived, except for one, has fallen short of God's glorious and righteous standards. In the original language, when the Bible says we have fallen short of the glory of God, the literal word that is used there is the word lacking or empty, or it has been left founding wanting. When it says all have sinned and fallen short, it means we are lacking. There is an emptiness. There is a place that is needed to be filled, but it is empty. And what is the thing that has been emptied from us? The Bible declares that it is, in fact, God's glory. The glory, the Shekinah, the radiance, the power of God. The reason why in the Old Testament it says, no one can look upon the face of the Lord and live. Why? Because his glory is so powerful and radiant like the shining of the sun that if you open your eyes and stare at the sun, that there is physical pain produced in your eyes. And that is just a physical ball of burning gas in the sky. The glory of God is is supernatural. That's why we, when Moses experienced God's glory on the top of Mount Sinai, he came back down and his body was shining with the glory of God. They were afraid of him. They said, Moses, you got to cover that up, bro, because that is scary. You've got the glory of God on you. And that is what's lacking in all of us. We have, when we have fallen short of God's glory, it means that God created us to carry his image and his purpose in our lives 
But because we have fallen short, it's lacking. It's empty in our lives. The best way to understand this is to rewind a little bit, to go back in Romans chapter 1, when it describes the, 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 uh, the results of the sin of men and women, men and women in the earth. It says that in uh, Romans uh, 1 verse 23, it says that they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image. So in other words, we chose, all of us at some point, we had a choice between receiving God's glory, his power, his radiance, his life, or rejecting it and instead going for something of lesser value. We've all done this, right? They exchanged the glory of God for an unrighteous image. In verse 28, chapter 1, 28, they disapproved of having God in their knowledge. We would rather, sinful fallen human beings would rather believe the lie of the world, would rather believe the wickedness of this world than to receive the glory of God because righteous, holy God and sinful fallen man does not compute, does not fit together. It is like what fellowship has light with darkness. In a room filled with light like this one, there is very little darkness. And in the presence of God's holiness, there is no shadow of turning. That these are incompatible. God in his holiness and us in our fallenness. Everybody with me so far? And that's what it means when it says that we have fallen short of God's glory, that there is a vast separation. It's the illustration. Man, I, I, I had a bang energy drink before I came up here to preach. Am I talking too fast for y'all? <laughs> I got to slow down a little bit. Let me breathe. It's the picture of the Grand Canyon. How many ever seen the Grand Canyon? Okay. On one side of the Grand Canyon, you can stand on the edge and you can see across the expanse to the other side. It's about one mile across and about one mile deep. And the difference between us and God is like the difference between this side of the canyon and that side of the canyon. And you know what religion is? Religion is me saying, I think I can get there. Good works is me saying, oh, I think I can do enough to make up the difference. Let me try to jump. That doesn't work too well, does it? Even our best, the Bible says, even the best our lives can produce is like filthy rags to God. It falls short of his glory. There is no way for us to bridge this gap. What we need is a savior. We need a bridge. We can't do it on our own. All religion falls short. All good works fall short. All, uh, all, all of our philosophizing and self-help, every book in the self-help section of Barnes & Noble, it's like leaping off the edge and hoping you'll get to the other side of the Grand Canyon. How many tried doing it your own way. How many tried the wisdom of men? How many tried the strategies of the world and figured out pretty quickly, that ain't working. There's a way which seems right to a man, but it leads to destruction. That is correct. And so this is what it, the Bible means. This is what sin produces in our life. It produces the emptiness, the vacuum of God's glory 
in our lives. Sin, this is the one definition we could give to sin. We know that when you hurt somebody, that's a sin, right? Because God doesn't want you hurting his fellow image bearers, right? If I slapped Mr. Stephen in the face, pow, for no good reason, that would hurt our relationship. And not only would Stephen be angry at me, God would be angry with me because Stephen is made in God's image. So that's a sin. It's also a sin when we hurt ourselves, when we, when we uh, uh, take upon ourselves activities which harm us. And in the same way that if it's bad for me to slap Mr. Stephen, it would be just as bad for me to slap myself. Because now I'm harming one of God's creation. And we do this in many ways, right? When we get addicted to certain chemicals, it's harmful to us. When we get addicted to certain personality quirks, when we get addicted to certain attitudes, and these are probably even more dangerous than chemicals, pornography, self-pity, woe is me, right? Oh, bother. This is an addiction that is perhaps even more powerful than cigarettes and alcohol. So this is also sin when we hurt ourselves. But listen, this is the point I want to make to you tonight. Sin is more than that. Sin is when we dishonor God by choosing our own way. It is mocking and rejecting his glory. It is knowing that he is there at any moment to rescue us, but choosing to go our own way. You can go your own way. I did it my way. Man, I got to quit those bang energy drinks. What I'm saying is this is like built into our culture is just be you. Just do the thing you want to do. Don't ever change what all the kids write to each other in their high school yearbooks, which is a bunch of nonsense. When we choose our own way, we are dishonoring God's way. It's failing to treasure him as the most important entity in the universe. It's rejecting the wisdom and the glory of God as the foundation and center of our lives and replacing it with something that can never fill that void. And the results of that is that we've treated God and his glory with indifference. We have, we have, we have assessed the most important thing in the universe, God's glory, and we have treated it like trash. And this is the result of sin, separation from God. Okay, everybody with me so far? That's the bad news. Thank God that there is more than just bad news tonight. We've got good news to report to the world. And that is, secondly, that we can be saved out of our sins. And what this scripture is, is a roadmap of how the salvation of God works. And I hope that you will stick with me tonight. I, I, I know this is like a message that we've heard a hundred times in church, but it's a message we need to continue to hear because the gospel is so radically different than the way that you think. The gospel, the way that God thinks is so radically separate from how the world thinks, and we need to, we need to retune our pattern of thinking to understand what the gospel really is. So in our scripture, it gives us the answer to the problem of sin. It gives us the answer to the problem of being empty of God's glory. How can that void be filled again? 
And the answer is in verse 24. But before we read verse 24, rewind it to verse 21. It says, now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. So this is, this is interesting because, you know, in our Bible reading plan, if you've been watching the little devotional videos that come ahead of them, it's been very helpful. I like them. But they've been explaining how when, when mankind messed up, God said, okay, we're going to show humanity how to do this the right way. And so then came the system of laws from Mount Sinai. God gave them ten commandments. Those are not ten suggestions. Those are ten commandments. And he said, if you follow these, hey, it's going to be good for you. You know what the problem is? Nobody followed them. (laughs) Or if they did, they did it so imperfectly that it didn't matter. Or they only did them temporarily. And so God, uh, he says, okay, I'm going to show my glory through this people, this this." These descendants from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and this nation now is going to reflect my glory among the rest of the nations, and I'm going to give them these laws to make them stand apart and be different than the rest of the world. And we have the, the story of Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy and then into Joshua and how God is trying to teach the world about his mercy, a system of animal sacrifices, and all of this was supposed to be a way that people could get their hearts right and get back to him. Did it work? I mean, they tried, and then they didn't try. And they received it, and then they rejected it. And it's like this recurring story, and you read it, man, it can be very frustrating. And you're like, why can't you just listen? And whenever you get frustrated at the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, you should really be thinking about yourself. Because all of their back and forth with God, all of their ups and downs is the same kind of back and forth and up and down that we have too in our own faith. That's a good place to say amen because it's true. And so God's eventual solution in the gospel is this. I've got to find a way. Listen, God already knew the plan long before. I'm just, for us to understand, God says, I've got to find the way to make the people right without following all the laws. Because that law, it's not that the law was evil. The law was good. Paul's going to say that later on. The, the law is what leads me to understand how wicked I am. But the law cannot save. The letter of the law kills. And so Paul is saying, verse 21, we need a way. God gave us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. You ought to shout. You ought to dance. You ought to jump up and down when you hear that. Because this is what was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Something has happened. Paul is trying to teach us about something that has happened, which gives us access to the righteousness of God. But it's not through the legal system of Moses. So what happened? The answer is in verse 24. Read it carefully. And yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. Can you just chew on that for a second? God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. How is that possible? He did this through Christ Jesus 
when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. Okay, let's break this down just a little bit. You sticking with me tonight? Okay, number one is undeserved kindness. As I mentioned, another word for that is grace, right? Mercy and grace, what we don't deserve. Mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve. Grace is when we do get what we don't deserve. Has anybody ever showed you grace before? You got some undeserved favor. You got a job that you weren't qualified for. You got a, you got a raise that should have gone to the coworker. That's called grace. That's undeserved kindness. Now, God is a God of grace, but God is also a God of justice. So there is a balance here that has to be worked out. God just can't let sin slide. We're going to come back to that in a second. But what grace is, we are justified in a way that we cannot pay for it. It's the, it's the Grand Canyon. It, there is a, a gift that has been given that we cannot supply on our own. Then the Bible says that he declares us as righteous. Verse 22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus. Now, Paul, in the following chapter, in chapter 4, we're going to get there, where he's going to talk about Abraham. And Abram's relationship with God, it says in Genesis 15, verse 6, this is so key to understand the whole Bible, all right? Genesis 15, 6, and Abram believed God, and God counted him, say counted, counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now, did Abram do anything to deserve that? No, he didn't. The Bible says that Abram did one thing. He believed God. God gave him a promise. You're going to have a son. And Abram, who's 70 years old, and his wife, Sarah, who's also 70 years old. But somehow, Abram believed that promise. And when he believed, God looked down from heaven and made a deposit, made a deposit of righteousness. He took a sinful human being, which we all are, and made a deposit in him. It didn't come from Abraham. It came from God. It was a miracle. Counted. Think of the word accounting. It was a, it was a decision that God made. He responds to the faith of Abram and de- makes a deposit in his account. Man, you ever play Monopoly? Bank error in your favor? We like that one. Community chest every day. That's what that was. Is when God made a deposit in the life of Abram. Abram couldn't pay for this. Abram couldn't do good things to deserve this. All he did was believe God's promise, and God said, I declare you, Abram, that you are righteous. (laughs) That's weird. That's crazy because God is justifying Abram's life without him deserving it. And at the time, it doesn't make sense, it's unfair. You know why? Because Abram had a neighbor. I don't know what Abram's neighbor was, what his name was. Maybe it was Joe. I don't know. But Joe's over here. He's like, hey, how come he gets the righteousness of God and I don't? What's the difference? Well, this guy didn't believe the promise of God, and Abram did. And it's unfair because both of them were sinners. Both of them deserves God, God's wrath. But because Abram believed the Lord 
deposits righteousness in him. So this is the difference between justification and sanctification. Okay, now those are big religious spiritual words. I'm going to break them down for you, all right? Everybody say justification. Now say sanctification. What's the difference? That's a great question. I'm going to tell you. To be justified is a legal term. Imagine somebody who is on trial, and there is evidence presented against them. And this happens a lot in our legal system because, guess what? Our legal system is run by people, and people are imperfect. Sometimes the evidence is twisted, and people get condemned and convicted on false evidence. You heard a story about that before? And you can even go to prison. Sometimes for years, people get uh, go to prison even if they're innocent because the evidence against them and the jury convicts them even though they're innocent, okay? So what justification means is, let's say 20 years later, now there's new DNA evidence that comes out and it exonerates them. And the DNA is, is, is it comes out and they, they try the, the court again, it goes before the judge, a jury, and they say, oh, we made a mistake. You've been in there for 20 years, but you're innocent. And now you're going to be set free. And we know that the legal system cannot restore 20 years of life. But we are going to give them back their freedom. A lot of times, a city or whoever condemns them will give them some kind of monetary right recovery, so hopefully that means something. But the most important thing is that in the eyes of the law, they are no longer considered guilty. Are you hearing me? In the eyes of the law, in the eyes of the police, the judge, the court system, the legal system, we used to say, you're guilty. But now we say, you're not guilty. They've been justified. And the easy way to remember that, it's just as if I had never sinned. This is what Abram got from God when he believed. It's just as if I had never sinned. That was a deposit from the from the heavens, heavenly throne room. God deposited that in his life. Justification is not something that happens inside of us. It happens in the heart of God. It is not a change of who we are. It's a change of our standing before God. It's a change in how God sees you. In other words, in our sin, he sees us as sinners. But when we are justified by the blood of Jesus, now he looks at you and he says, oh, that's not a sinner. That's my kid. And God treats his kids different than he treats his enemies. That's good news tonight. Okay, how is that different from sanctification? Now, those whom God justifies, he will begin the work of sanctification. What is sanctification? It is the process. Everybody say process. It is the process of God taking someone who has spent their whole life sinning against him and changing them into a saint. Now, that is something that doesn't happen overnight. Say amen. <laughs> you are ju- The moment that you're saved, God will justify you. Legally speaking, God looks at you, you're no longer an enemy. You're a child. But that doesn't mean you're perfect, right? You still got some issues. You still got some thought patterns. You still got some spaghetti tangles in your life that got to get worked out and untangled. 
That's the process of sanctification where God begins every day to change us from glory into glory into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And listen, that's God's work. We participate in that, but it's God's work to change you from sinner to saint. Justification is once and for all. Sanctification is the work of a lifetime that God is doing in your life. If you're happy about that, say amen. How did God do all this? How is it possible that he can justify sinners? It's through redemption. It's redemption. The word redemption means to be freed from the penalty by a payment of ransom. Just a couple of weeks ago, there was a um, story that came out of our church in Lagos, Nigeria. And uh, Pastor Bitwell put this uh, prayer request out on the pastor's group, and we prayed for this need. But what happened was there are these Muslim groups in Nigeria. They're like radical Muslim terrorists, and they they live up in the northern part of the country. Sometimes when people are traveling, uh, that these groups will, will, uh, will grab people, kidnap people, and hold them for ransom. And so there was a time that one of the ladies in the church, uh, she was on a bus that got pulled over by one of these terrorist groups, and they were holding her for ransom. And so then what happened, a few days are going by, we don't know, there was, man, there were, people got nervous, but there was a negotiation that happened, that the, 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 the Muslim people were negotiating with the family members, and they were negotiating over a price. How much will you pay to have her back? And it's tragic that that happens, man. But you know what? When, you're, when your wife or your mom or your sister is being held ransom and they're holding a knife to her throat, you'd be willing to pay that ransom, right? And so they came up with a price. I don't know what it was, but they paid the ransom. And when the ransom was paid, they let her go. You are free to go back to your family. What I'm here to tell you tonight is the reason that God can justify broken and lost people is because the ransom was paid. The ransom was paid. Now, this did not make sense before Jesus. But after Jesus, it makes perfect sense. In verse 25, Paul speaks about times past. It says, there was, there was a time when God held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. And that looked like a problem. And it was a problem. Because for generations, God was being kind to people who didn't deserve his kindness. And from a human perspective, from a worldly point of view, it would be easy to point your finger, and even today, and say, God, how come you don't punish wicked people? Now, that, that's a very dangerous condemnation <laughs> because we could always turn the finger right back around and say, how come I didn't get punished? Thank God that he is kind and patient. But what happened at the cross, what happened with Jesus is that God was making right what seemed to be wrong. The punishment that we all deserve for sin was poured out upon Jesus, the Son of God. This was God's solution to that apparent oversight. Verse 25, God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood, and this sacrifice shows us 
that God was being fair. Say fair. When he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. Paul's saying that when you look in the history and you see people accusing God of evil because he didn't punish the wicked, what he's saying is at the cross, God made it fair. That injustice. Listen, God could have settled accounts very easy. You know how he does that? He just sends everybody to hell. He could have done that. And he and for those who reject the offer of his son, that is unfortunately the only other way to deal with sin. But God did a miracle. He put a plan in motion that the wrath of God's power, that his holiness demands justice, that wrath instead of being poured out on you and me and everybody else, that wrath was poured out on his son, Jesus, on the cross. Jesus didn't deserve that. He lived a perfect life. He lived a sinless life. He did not deserve the cross. I deserve the cross. But Jesus received my penalty. And because his wrath is, listen, when you say I'm saved, understand, you're not just saved from your sins. You're not just saved from your past. You're not just saved from bad decisions. When you say, I'm saved, what you are really saved from is the wrath of God. That's not a message you're going to hear preached in many churches these days. It is the wrath of God that had to be subdued. The only way that that happens is on the cross. The sacrifice that Jesus made was worthy. Nothing else could satisfy the wrath of God. But when God allowed his son, his only begotten son, to die, it settled all accounts. John 3, 17, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Okay, I'm wrapping this up, I promise. The blood of Jesus is enough to satisfy all of God's wrath. It is enough to cleanse, purify, and forgive every sinner. And yet, not all are saved. There are still people and multitudes and the majority of people, unfortunately, who die today. And, and we know because of statistics that people are dying around the world, about 80,000 every day, about one per second people passing into eternity. And the vast majority of them are going to hell, even though God made a way for them to get to heaven. Why is the vast majority going to hell? There's only one way to receive this sacrifice, and that is through faith. Listen to our scripture one more time. This is verse 25. Romans 3.25. This would be a good one to memorize, y'all. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just. He declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Faith. It's the same thing that saved Abram. He trusted in God's promise. And that's what you need to do today. You need to trust in Jesus, the one who was sent for us. I want to close with this story about a man named William Cowper. In 1759, this man was 28 years old, and he had a complete mental breakdown. 
Three different times he tried to commit suicide, and he was convinced that he was damned beyond hope. December 16, uh, 1763, he was committed to St. Albums Insane Asylum. At, uh, there was a doctor there, 58-year-old Nathaniel Cotton, who tended to the patients. By God's wonderful design, Cotton was also an evangelical believer, a lover of God, and uh, a man who believed the gospel. He encountered this man in the insane asylum, loved him, and held out hope for him repeatedly in spite of the insistence that he was damned beyond hope. Six months into his stay, Cowper found a Bible lying on a bench in the garden. He opened it and found John chapter 11, the scripture where it says, so much benevolence, mercy, goodness, and sympathy with miserable men in our Savior's conduct. And when he read that, he felt a ray of hope. Then he flipped the page by random and opened to this, this verse, Romans chapter 3, verse 25. And he says, when I read that, when I read, God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just and declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Reading those words, this was his testimony. Immediately, I received the strength to believe that, and full beams of the Son of Righteousness shone upon me. I saw the sufficiency of the atonement he had made, my pardon sealed in his blood, and all the fullness and completeness of his justification. In one moment, I believed and received the gospel. And later that month, Cowper left St. Albans Insane Asylum and lived and ministered 35 years the gospel. He became a preacher, and he also became a great hymn writer. He wrote hymns that you may or may not recognize their names. There is a fountain filled with blood. Oh, for a closer walk with God, and the Spirit breathes upon the Word. And I want to declare to you, this has happened in history over and over again from this scripture. Some of the great gospel preachers, some of the great theologians of the past, Augustine, Luther, Wesley, have all commented that this scripture was instrumental in their lives. I want to read it one more time so that you can soak it in. Are you ready? God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in the past. The whole purpose, our scripture says in verse 26, is to demonstrate his righteousness. God said, I'm going to demonstrate to the world the righteousness that I am just and I am fair. The reason Jesus had to die was to show us that God just doesn't let stuff slide and slip. It's not easy grace. It's not just, oh, I hope you get better. That our sins require a price. And Jesus is that price. What about you tonight? Have you received this incredible gospel? Have you simply trusted in the Lord to save you for your sins? Let's bow our heads tonight. We're going to close our eyes. I've taken too much of your time this evening. But before we close, I want to ask very quickly tonight. This is a, this is a, this is a simple presentation of the good news. The word gospel means good news. And the good news that has always been the best news of all time. 
is the news that sinners can be made right with God, that God can forgive and cleanse your sins when you will trust in him for salvation. And I wonder if you've done that tonight. I wonder, I'm not just talking about religion or church attendance. I'm not just talking about righteous activities. I'm talking tonight about a simple but profound trust in the promises and the words of God. For God so loved the world, John 3.16, that He gave His only begotten Son so that whoever would believe on Him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the promise. And how do you receive that promise? It's not through how much you give. It's not through how much you understand, how many classes you go to, how many church services you attend. It is simply by faith. You're going to trust in God. You're going to trust His Word. And when I say believe, it's not just mental acknowledgement. The, the Word in the Scripture, when it says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it is the kind of trust that you're going to put your whole life into something. I'm going to believe this with all my heart and all my mind. And so that is the call tonight. Have you received it? Jesus died for all, but not all are saved. It requires your faith. And if you have not expressed your trust in the Lord Jesus and your sins have not been forgiven, this is your moment. If you're here tonight and you need that, I want to pray with you. I want to believe God with you. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand for salvation? Somebody's here. You want to receive that justification by faith. You want to receive this miracle from God. If that's you, I want to pray with you. Would you just lift up your hand unsaved or maybe backslidden in your heart? Maybe, maybe it's just been a religion. Maybe it's just been form and outward appearances, playing games with God. But God has caught your attention tonight. The gospel is powerful. You can be transformed. If that's you, I want to pray with you quickly. Is there someone here being honest with the Lord? You're not right. Or you're backslidden in your heart. I want to pray with you. Is there anyone at all? You lift up your hand for salvation tonight. Thank you for listening to this message from the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach. If you sense the Holy Spirit drawing you out of your sins and into a new life with Him, pray this prayer from your heart today. God in heaven, I know I've sinned against you. I've hurt people, I've hurt myself, and I've broken your laws. Today, I turn from my sins as I surrender to your perfect will. I believe Jesus Christ is your Son and that He died and rose again for me. I receive Him today as my Lord and Savior. May the old things of my past pass away as you make me a new creation. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit to give me strength to live for you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. We want to help you live for God. Please join us in person for one of our upcoming church services. We are located in the heart of Virginia Beach at 1045 Linhaven Parkway, about one mile from the Linhaven Mall. Please check the show notes for links to our website and social media. You can also find a link to support this ministry with a generous donation. We would be so grateful. We look forward to sharing future messages here on the VBPH Sermon Podcast. In the meantime, we pray that God would strengthen you to serve Him with all your heart.